there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well, and it was about noon. Well, let's pause there, and what we're going to do today is read through this story and pause periodically and talk about some of the realities. So Jesus is journeying from the north, which is Galilee, down to the south, the Judean area. So imagine going from Dallas to uh, San Antonio, and you're making that journey through Texas. Uh, Now, frequently, the Jewish people, though, whenever they were going from Dallas to San Antonio, they would go from Dallas to Houston to San Antonio because they didn't want to go through Austin. I don't know, maybe they were Aggies or something. so, So he's traveling to, sorry, he's traveling to Judea, and he goes through this region of Samaria. Now, traveling through Samaria was about as appealing as an all-day shopping trip is for Nick. Nobody really wanted to travel through Samaria. It was something you just didn't want to do. Why? Well, there were two groups of people here. You had the Samaritans and you had the Jews. And at this point in history, they had a very, very deep-seated prejudice. The Samaritans were about half Jewish, and they had their own temple and their own style of worship. The Jewish uh, worship was very ritualistic and traditional, very truth-based at this point, uh, tradition-based, whereas the Samaritan worship was actually much more emotional. And so uh, the, the Jewish people even considered to be these, the Samaritans to be simpletons. In fact, in John chapter 8, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, were looking for a way to really insult Jesus. I mean, just really cut him deep. And so they called him a Samaritan. Oh, the, the, the fear. You're just a Samaritan. And so in verse 6, the Bible says that Jesus is worn out. Now, I don't know about you, but I find a lot of comfort from verse 6. That even the Son of God sometimes gets worn out. Even the Son of God sometimes just needs to sit down and rest for a few moments. Well, verse 7 says, A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, she asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Now recognize here for a moment to really help you get into the story, Jesus was breaking all sorts of social taboos. We discussed how he was traveling through Samaria and how Jewish people would often go way out of their way to avoid traveling through Samaria. But now he's engaging in conversation with a Samaritan woman. And not just any Samaritan woman. He was engaging with a woman who would come to the well at noon. Now, one of the reasons why she probably came to the well at noon is because the other women in the village saw her as, well, the other woman. She didn't have a good reputation. She was the individual that went to the well during the heat of the day when nobody else was there because she was often shunned and avoided. And then Jesus continues to break the social taboos some more. 
Not only does he talk to a woman, a Samaritan woman, a woman of poor reputation, but he also says, will you give me a drink? Will you give me a drink out of the water jug from which you drink? Any of you guys uh, go way back in the football days when you used to have football practice and the coach would bring out the big Gatorade jug and then there would be a ladle and you'd all just like drink out of the ladle after each other? Yeah, that's how it used to be, yeah. And um, everybody would just drink after you. That, that doesn't work anymore, does it? That, you know, that, that's not really what you call social distancing or anything of that nature. So Jesus here is breaking every hand sanitizer rule going. He's saying, can I have a drink of water out of your water jug? And so this lady is a little bit taken back. We'll keep reading the story. We're, we're now in verse 10. So look with me at verse 10. Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would ask him, and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket, and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again, but whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so that I don't get thirsty and come here to draw water. So this lady has been a little bit taken back by Jesus's request of her that she give him water but Jesus is doing something intentional here and I want you to see this Jesus is turning the conversation towards spiritual things there is a lost word in 2020 church life and that is the word evangelism you see it there on the screen on the right side Evangelism means that we are spreading the gospel, which is the good news of Jesus Christ, the story of Jesus Christ. We are intentionally spreading the news of Jesus Christ, and we're doing so maybe by preaching, teaching, or personal witness. Now, uh, that personal witness can come in a lot of different forms. It could be something that you're doing on social media where you are sharing the gospel. It can be a conversation that you have with somebody where you are sharing the gospel. But as Christians, we have a responsibility, a call to evangelism. You remember Jesus just before he ascended? What did he tell us? Go and do what? make disciples. In the book of Acts, he said, you're going to be my, do you remember what word he used? Witnesses. That we were supposed to go and witness or testify to people about who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for us. So notice how Jesus unlocks this woman's heart and leads her into a spiritual conversation. First thing that I notice is that he used a natural approach. Can I have a drink of water? He didn't come to her and, and say, all right, I'm just going to, I've got this big poster here. I'm going to show it to you. 
He used a natural approach. Can I have a drink of water? And then he found points of interest. They were both tired. They were both alone. It was the heat of the day. They were both thirsty. And so he began a conversation in which he engaged with her. Hey, David, I like the mask, man. Good to see you. He engaged with her in her territory. Can I have a drink of water? He came to her rather than asking her to come to him. Now, in Christianity, a lot of our evangelism has been, hey, y'all come. We're going to do this. We're going to have such a great, uh, we're going to have such great music, such a great sermon, such a great event, such a great whatever, and we're going to ask you to come, and then we'll share the gospel with you. But notice that evangelism really begins with us going. Go and make disciples. And Jesus found common interest with this person. Thirdly, he kept his focus. You'll see all through the story, she keeps trying to throw that theological rock, that theological gotcha out. And Jesus just kept the focus on the gospel. Why are you talking to me? You're not supposed to be talking to me. Do you guys think that, do you think you're better than Jacob? This is where our forefathers worship. You know, why, why are you doing it? She kept trying to distract him and he kept going forward. And then fourth, he guided the conversation to spiritual things. If only you knew the gift of God. He took the water and he began talking about the living water. He took the common point of interest and he turned it to a spiritual conversation so that he could begin talking to her about spiritual matters. Have you ever done this with somebody? You just are having a conversation and you're connecting well and you mention your church or you mention something spiritual and the next thing you know, they are just unfolding. I mean, you ask them maybe, uh, I've done this before when eating out. Hey, we're about to have a prayer. Is there anything we can pray for you about? And the next thing I know, the, the person just telling me about what's going on in their family or in their life. People are hungry for spiritual things. And it's easy for us to dance around it and to, uh, to not actually engage with people in spiritual conversations. Well, let's keep on going. Verse 16 is where we are. Verse 16, he says to her, Go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You have correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said. For you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Ouch. Kind of stings a little bit. And then notice her response in verse 19. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. <laughs> I mean, that's a classic response. So, uh, yeah, I see that you're not just a, uh, a, a guy getting a drink of water, but you're also a, a prophet. And then notice in verse 20 that, again, she tries to get the conversation to a different subject. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. So Jesus brings her face-to-face -face with her past. And he deals with her sins as well. Now, there's a few things that we should take note here. One, as Christians, we should remember that it's not right to live with a person before marriage. That marriage is something that society didn't just think up, but it's something that God ordained and goes all the way back 
to the pages of Genesis. That in the beginning he created them male and female. It was early on in Eden when uh, the first marriage was established and from marriage the expression of marriage is physical intimacy or sexuality and from that is where the family is fostered and cultivated and children can be raised in the environment of a family that is based upon a marriage between a man and a woman. So we shouldn't pretend like we're married before we are married. And in this particular case, this woman had had a lot of heartache. She had been married five different times. Now, we don't know the story here. We don't know what all happened. We don't know if she was widowed five times or what exactly happened, but it seems to me that we have a lady who really wanted to be loved. And my guess is that she'd probably been hurt a lot. If I just try to put myself into her story, maybe she was an individual that had been abused a lot. Perhaps she had been abandoned. If you were left by your husband in this culture, it often meant a life of poverty, a very hard life. And so I, I think this individual, this Samaritan woman, had been a little bit hardened by life. But deep inside, if you got beyond all the walls, if you got beyond all the defenses, there was the heart of a little girl who was just wanting to be loved. And so Jesus begins diving in and dealing with this. And we should be mindful of this, that as we call people to experience the grace of God, and our salvation is by grace, it's not by performance, but as we call people to experience the salvation of God, part of faith is repentance. Whenever we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we are turning from sin to Christ. There is a repentance from what I have been, from where I have been going, from sin to Christ. And Jesus took time here to deal with the sin issue in her life. Now, what would you expect would happen right here? Her defense mechanisms went way up, and she immediately began changing, changing the subject about, okay, wh where are we really supposed to worship? You guys say we're supposed to worship uh, on the church campus, but we say you're supposed to worship at home. Which one is it? You know? And she began arguing this, this point. And Jesus told her, believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here where true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. So there was this big controversy about should you worship in Samaria or in Jerusalem? And Jesus says, that's not really the issue. The real issue is, do you know the Father, and are you worshiping Him in spirit and in truth? There was also a controversy about, should worship be very cerebral and traditional and very mindful, or should it be very emotional? And Jesus says that true worshipers worship from their heart. There is a spiritual connection that takes place with God, but it is also anchored in the truth of God. True worship is more than just a study of a text. 
It does involve your heart, and it involves an encounter with God, a connection. It's okay to get a little emotional whenever you worship the God who created you and loves you. But that worship also needs to be grounded in truth. And so Jesus reminds her that true worship is not so much about your location as it is about your heart and the truth. And are you worshiping God in spirit and in truth? Now let me just say this. I really look forward to the day when this room is full. I look forward to the day when all of y'all that are watching on the camera are, are here. And we can, we can pack this room out four or five times a week. How about that? And, and we worship the Lord together. But know this, wherever we are, we can worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And right now, even though we're, we're in this awkward time, we're still worshiping the Lord in spirit and in truth. Verse 25, the woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. So it's kind of that, it's that part in the conversation where you go, well, I don't really understand all this, but I know, I know one day the Messiah is going to come and then it'll all make sense. And then Jesus says to her in verse 26, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Whoa. That changes everything. Now at the end of verse 26, the hymn, Just As I Am, does not begin. There is no, hey, let's go through the ABC track now. There isn't a, all right, let's jump in the well and I'm going to baptize you right now. I'm not against any of those things. I like just as I am. I use ABC tracks and I'm a big fan of baptism. But I want you to notice something. Something changed within her. This hurt woman found forgiveness. And I believe she was saved. Do you remember that moment in your life? When that happened to you? When you experienced the salvation of God? When the Holy Spirit invaded your heart and everything changed? That's what happened to this lady right here. Well, in verse 27, the disciples arrive. So here come the 12 burly disciples up the path to the well. And when they arrive, they are amazed that Jesus is talking with a woman. So they zero in immediately on the social taboos. What is he doing? Why is he? Peter, he's talking to a woman. He's not supposed to do that. And they get up there, but because of their respect for Jesus, no, no one said, what do you want or, or why are you talking to her? So the disciples come back. Remember, they had been sent off to go get food. So they come back, and they're all excited because they discovered Kroger Click List. And they can, they can just pull the chariot up and get it loaded with food. And they're so excited. But they can't get past the fact that Jesus is talking to this lady at the well in public at noon. And so in verse 28, what happens? The lady gets up and leaves so quickly that she leaves her water jar. And where does she go? She went into town and told the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they left the town and made their way to him. So in verse 27, 
the disciples didn't really say anything to Jesus or to the woman, but I think they said a lot. You know, you can say a lot with your body language. You can say a lot with the way that you, you uh, look. And so as soon as they arrive on the scene, she gets out so quickly that she leaves her jar, just leaves it there at the well. Now Jesus is in a place where there were all sorts of obstacles to the gospel. Make sure you catch this, all right? And if need be, wear it and let it change you. The biggest obstacle that Jesus was facing was the disciples. The biggest obstacles to the gospel at this point was the disciples. Now, I also want you to realize something here. The disciples at this point in their life were struggling with racism and sexism. And I want you to realize that when it comes to Jesus, that he always treated women with honor and dignity. He was willing to speak with them. He respected them. He never told a woman to shut up and go home, as a well-known evangelical leader did a few weeks ago. He treated women with respect and dignity. He also treated people of different races with respect and dignity. And here he took time to talk to and love and care about a Samaritan woman. I remember the first time I, I encountered racism in the church. I was a student minister, and I was still in college. I invited, invited a young man, I think he's about 17 or so, a young man named David to church. He was African-American young man, and uh, he came to our church, and afterwards I was talking to him. I said, you know, how, how, how did you like church and, and such? And he said, there was this woman that just kept staring at me the whole service, giving me this, it wasn't here, you know, not, not this church, but he said she just kept giving me this look like I, I said, are you sure? He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. And I remember just how heartbroken I was to realize that, that this young man had, had come to our church. He was a different skin color than most, and he didn't feel welcomed that particular day. That someone would look at him and, and give him that scornful look. Racism's wrong. Racism's not compatible with the gospel. The gospel unites people. It doesn't divide us. Racism, racism's not compatible with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't just die for the people that have the same skin tone as you. He died for all. God so loved the world that he sent his son. It's sad but true that, that sometimes our Christian prejudices, our fascination with arguing the nuances of theology, can get in the way of lost people just seeing Jesus. What's a disciple? 
If you had to define a disciple, what, how would you define it? I mean, let me give you seven characteristics of, of a disciple here. I think we have them here. A disciple is someone who believes in Jesus Christ. They have faith in Jesus. A disciple is someone who worships Jesus. Worship not just being coming to church, but worship being the alignment of God. A disciple grows in truth. A disciple has a hunger and thirst for righteousness in the Word of God. A disciple obeys Jesus. It's not just a cognitive assent, but your faith in Jesus changes the way that you live. It shapes your right and wrong. A disciple serves Jesus, understands that you have been created on purpose for a purpose, and cultivates that purpose in your life so that you might serve Him and others. A disciple lives with a contagious faith. I love the way that Jesus described it here in John chapter 4, the living water. You see, following Jesus should not push people away from the cross. It should draw people to the cross because there should be something contagious about your faith because the living water of Jesus Christ is flowing through you and thirsty people want that. A disciple demonstrates grace and love to people. A disciple realizes that kindness matters. And that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And desires for that to be flowing in their life. How do you measure maturity? You measure Christian maturity by how deeply is Jesus invading every area of your life. And the deeper that He, the deeper the change, the deeper the transformation, the more you know you're following Him. You're a disciple. We often want to measure discipleship by how much we know. Who's the most mature Christian in the, in the room? Oh, the one that knows the most Scripture. Again, I'm not against memorizing Scripture. Know your Bible. But this dear lady, she didn't know much at all. But she knew Jesus. And what'd she do? She went and told. She went and told who would listen. And what'd she say? She said, come and see. Come and see. What a beautiful picture. What a beautiful scene is unfolding back at the village. Come and see this man who is the Messiah. But in the meantime, the disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something. Eat something. But he said, I have food to eat that you don't know about. And the disciples said to one another, verse 33, could someone have brought him could someone have brought him something to eat? Who fed the Lord? I love this little scene. The disciples are sent to get food. Rabbi, eat. We scored some brisket in town. This is great. We even have pork. We're in Samaria. It's wonderful. Some of y'all might get that. And Jesus says, Thanks. I've already eaten. I'm not hungry. And the disciples are like, No, 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 no. That's my job. We worked all day on the deviled eggs. Even renamed them to anti-devil eggs so that we could feed them to Jesus. And now you're saying you've already eaten? My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to finish His work. Jesus says, my energy is to do the will of Him who sent me and finish His work. 
Don't you say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields because they're ready for the harvest. The reaper is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper can rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap what you didn't labor for. Others have labored and you have benefited from their labor. Now picture the scene. You have the village where the people lived, you had the fields where they grew their food, and then you had the hillside with the well on top where they would get their water. Jesus is sitting at the well. The disciples have come up that path. They are around him, and the village where the woman went down to is on the other side of the fields. She has said, come and see this man. Could he be the Messiah? And then the people are coming out of the village through the fields to come and see Jesus, and Jesus tells them, hey, don't say four months more, and then comes the harvest. Open your eyes and look, because the fields are ready for harvest. Jesus is reminding the disciples that the people are the task. And the people of Samaria were coming to them at this very moment. And even though they didn't sow all the seed with the Samaritan woman, they were now needed to help in reaching out to this village. So verse 39 is a beautiful scene. Now many Samaritans from that town, say it with me, believed in him. So the story doesn't end with the the woman at the well. Many Samaritans in the town believed in him because of that, because of the woman said what the woman said when she testified, he told me everything I ever did. And so when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of what he said. And they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said, since we have heard for ourselves and know that this really is the Savior of the world. Missed in the story of Jesus is the great Samaritan revival of John chapter 4. While the Jewish leaders were plotting together to crucify him, the Samaritans that were rejected by the Jewish leaders were coming to belief in him. God was doing a work that most people couldn't even see. But God was at work. Never forget this. God is always at work. And I promise you this, in the middle of this COVID season, God is speaking deeply into hearts. And God is at work. I've often said, the pews may be empty, but the hearts are full. Because God is speaking to people. And I know God's speaking to some of y'all. And he's calling you to what's next. So there's three different individuals or groups in this story. And let me finish by asking you this. Which one do you relate to the most? Jesus, the disciples, or the woman at the well? When you read the story, whose eyes do you immediately get get behind? Well, probably you're a little hesitant to say, well, I get behind Jesus' eyes because you don't want to cast yourself as the Son of God. I, I, I understand, and no, you're not the Messiah. Uh, so, so, no, you're not perfect. You're not the Son of God. But maybe God is calling you to some measure of leadership. Perhaps you're at a point in your Christian journey 
where you need to be an individual who leads others beyond their own prejudices, helps the church move outward, and helps people re-engage with evangelism. Maybe like Jesus, you feel tired, a little worn out. But there's people that are coming across your path, and you have the opportunity to help them. And you can't let your fatigue keep you from fulfilling the mission that God's called you to. Or maybe like Jesus, there's a broken person in your life, and you can help them experience living water. Perhaps you, you relate to the disciples the most. The disciples were good guys, but the disciples just didn't get it right now. At this point in the story, the disciples just weren't getting it. And it's easy right now to be consumed with all the temporary needs. What were the disciples consumed with? We've got to go get food. We really don't want to do that. And then who fed the Lord? And then why is he talking to this woman at the well at noon? And it's really easy to get consumed with COVID-19 and all the different challenges that are going around, the election, your job, when's football season going to start? <laughs> all these little things. And I know they, they matter to us at, at different levels. But it's easy to get distracted from the people in your life. And, and, and maybe what needs to be done is you need God to ask you to help you see what is really important and to not miss that. And please, 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 don't ever use your relationship status with Jesus Christ as an excuse to look down upon others. You are saved by grace. I'm a child of the King. Well, yeah, by grace. Grace is the greatest gift God's ever extended to us. Why don't we extend it to other people as well? It's easy also to become territorial and get upset when somebody else feeds the Lord. This is my job. You can't do that. That's my job. It's my, my territory. And perhaps, uh, like the disciples, you just need to ask God to change you and to help you get it see it. Maybe you relate most to the woman at the well. You look at your life and you've done a lot of things that are just wrong. There's no other way to cast it. They're just wrong. Maybe you've been hurt. People have done things to you that are wrong. You felt alone. Maybe you felt shunned. And what you need is the living water. God doesn't call you to understand it all, but He does call you to believe. And that first step of belief, that first step of faith is just to believe in Christ as Lord and Savior. Would you guys be so kind as to bow your heads wherever you are today? Here in the room, on Facebook, on YouTube. Maybe you're even watching this later on in the week and we're going out into the future and that's when you're watching this. But let's have a holy moment here, and let me ask you, is this your moment when you trust in Christ as Lord and Savior? Is this the moment in your life when you give your heart to Christ? 
Maybe this is a moment when God tears down those walls and you realize that perhaps you at times have been using your relationship with Jesus Christ as a reason to look down upon other people. And God's convicted you today that that's just wrong. Maybe you've been worshiping in truth, but you haven't been worshiping in spirit. Maybe your spirit is there, but you haven't been anchored in truth. And so you come to God today and say, Lord, help me to worship you in spirit and in truth. Perhaps there's somebody in your life that is hurting. There's a Samaritan woman in your path. And you don't want to look the other way. You don't want to miss her. God's calling you today to reach out. To reach out and offer the living water. Heavenly Father, may you grant us the great joy of seeing thousands of people come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. May we have the joy in our lifetime of seeing every people group experience the truth of the gospel in their language. May we have the joy of seeing an awakening take place in our country, in our community, and around the world that shakes the world, that changes the world. And Father, may it begin in our heart today. Help us, Lord, to love you, to follow you, to trust you. And God, I'm so thankful for this church. I pray your blessings upon each and every person that is here today and is listening today. May we draw close to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love you guys. Let's sing together.
Y'all may be seated. Uh, let's give a, a shout out to the uh, worship and tech team today for, uh, for their help. Look, look forward to, to Paul Reed being back here next Sunday. And thank you so much, Larry and Richard, uh, for, for leading our worship and also for the tech team up there doing a wearing multiple hats to bring you worship today. So several things to be aware of, and I have some new things, so you might want to make sure that you turn the volume up or, or uh, engage here. So uh, first of all, uh, children's ministry, we are looking at being able to offer children's ministry if everything goes well, September the 13th beginning on September the 13th. Now, there are going to be uh, most likely some limited spots for that in order for us to be able to social distance. So if you have children that are going to need uh, children, be, be in children's church or preschool care, baby care, uh, you will need to register beforehand so that we know what the, what the uh, status is there. But that is beginning on September the 13th. We are uh, actively receiving resumes for those that might be interested in serving as a director of student-slash-family ministries. Uh, the email address for that is office at murphychurch.com. So if you're interested in sending your bio-slash-resume for that, you can send that to office at murphychurch.com. I think there's also a new link, murphychurch.com slash careers, uh, murphychurch.com slash careers, where you can see the... Oh, not you know what I'm saying. It's just, it, but uh, uh, you can go there and you can see, I believe, the job description that has been put together for for that position. We are on August the 25th uh, going to have a church business meeting that'll be via Zoom, so that people can be involved in that at seven o'clock. We'll send out the link for that as we get closer to that uh, date. But uh, there's a couple things that we will need to do at that August 25th meeting. One, uh, we will need to approve our upcoming budget for the coming fiscal year. Uh, two, we're going to try to, uh, uh, we're going to bring a proposal for us to be able to invest in some infrastructure that will help with the cameras and the, uh, the internet capabilities around the campus. And also, as we think about life groups coming back uh, here we envision that there will be some that will be in the room and some that might still need to join uh, remotely. And so we're trying to increase our technological capacity to be able to do that. And so on August 25th at 7 o'clock, uh, we'll be meeting on Zoom to discuss that, that business. Also, the iServe team is looking for those that are interested in serving in different uh, administrative teams throughout the church, and I believe if you look at the worship guide today, there is a sur serve survey, say that 10 times fast, serve survey that they would invite you to take so that you can get an idea as to where you might want to serve. And then, this is kind of cool, this, uh, the pumpkins are coming, the pumpkins are coming. October 17th will be the beginning of the pumpkin patch. Obviously, things will be a little bit different, but as we pondered on whether or not to do a pumpkin patch, we came to the conclusion that'll really be a good thing for the community, to be able to have the pumpkin patch and be able to feel like something is normal again. And so we're looking at doing the pumpkin patch on October the 17th. We're probably going to need some fresh volunteers this year because some of the people that have been able to help us in the past 
for health reasons won't be able to help us. Uh, so we're going to need some people to get involved so that we can provide that ministry to the community with pumpkin patch. This also came up uh, on the live stream today uh, on registration for the worship service. The registration link for the worship service comes out every Monday morning and what we would uh, ask you to do if you receive that link and you would like to come and be a part of the in-person worship please go ahead and register so that we have an idea that also reserves your seat so that you for sure have a seat however I realize sometimes people don't get the link or whatever happens if, if you are COVID symptom free, similar to like whenever you go to the doctor's office and they go through that list and say, you know, have you had this, this, and this? If you're COVID symptom free, you feel like you can come and you want to be here, we want you to be here. Uh, and we also, I just want to make sure you're aware of this, we have plenty of seats, don't we? We have plenty of seats. Uh, you say, well, what if they all fill up? Well, if they all fill up, we'll do another service and we'll be okay. So, so uh, you're more than welcome to come and be with us on Sunday. I'm glad to see a few more here today. I totally understand why some of you are being very, very cautious. Uh, I get that. I understand it. I respect it. Uh, I'm thankful that you're watching today online. And Larry, what song are we going to go out with today? The Great I Am. The great I am. Much love to everybody today. Thank you for being a part of worship today. I appreciate your time, your energy, your commitment. Appreciate your faithfulness to giving to the church. Let's stand together and let's sing this hymn as we leave today.